Welcome to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. Hear and learn through the success of others how to build the life and business you deserve. Learn to overcome failure, what it means to seek out growth, and how to become the best possible version of yourself. And now, here's your host, coach, entrepreneur, husband and father, and author of the number one best-selling book, Survive, Scale, Soar, Jeremy Williams. And welcome back to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy. And just a quick reminder, this show comes in two formats. Real talk, it's just me and the mic sharing what's happening in the world and how it might impact your business. And then there's success talks. And that's where I get to interview some of the top people in their respected industry. And they share with you their journey, what's made them successful, maybe even some of the challenges along the way. And today is a success talk. I am so honored to have on the show today, Jason Smith of Fairway Mortgage out of Glendale, Arizona. A little bit about Jason. He's always been a guy that served coming right out of high school, becoming a volunteer firefighter, becoming a paramedic, doing over 20,000 20, 911 calls. Uh, we'll talk about an incident that took place in his life that set him on a journey uh, that's now impacting millions of people. And then how he got into the mortgage business and why he's one of the most successful in the industry. He's in the top 1% in only three years of business. He's closed over $75 million in loans. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me on today, Jeremy. Uh, Jason, this is going to be great. Uh, man, just knowing your story and uh, there's so much to unpack in it. I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time. Uh, I just I want to jump in and be able to explore some of these things that have happened in your life. What yeah. made you, you're a person of service, it's obvious, and, and people are going to find out that as they listen to this call today. What made you become a firefighter? What was that step from high school to becoming that volunteer <clears throat> firefighter? Well, I think, you know, I was a young guy that wanted to do something kind of crazy and serve my community. You know, I come from a very small, tight-knit community, and it's a, serve, it's a, uh, a community that thrives on a service and helping your neighbor. And as time goes on, you know, we see that that is kind of disbanded amongst a lot of our communities, but that was, that's still a really big thing back in my hometown in Washington. And so when I got out of high school, um, I was asking myself, what do I want to do? I want to do something that uh, is unique and engaging for me on a day-to-day -day basis. That's a challenge, but also helps. And so I thought I'm going to start out when I was 20 years old. I'm going to start out and be a volunteer firefighter and see where that goes. And after the um, after the academy, I got right in there. I was aggressive and got promoted to a resident position where I lived in the fire station every day for about three and a half years. Yeah, I, that's amazing. That, I think that's missing a lot in our youth today, you know, having those opportunities to to step into and being able to serve the communities in which have served us and, and being able to help. And I think, I think if the world would change if we had more, more of a, you know, the Jason Smiths in this world that, you know, just are, are out there willing to help, willing to step into the, the gap um, for, for those people that, that are in need. So you did that for three years. And then what made you move from being a firefighter to a paramedic? Well, those, those things kind of go hand in hand, really. So if you work on a fire truck, you're either an EMT or a paramedic because 80, 85% of the calls you run on are actual EMS emergencies, somebody having 
you know, a, a heart attack, a stroke, a diabetic problem, whatever it may be. And so I got my EMT, was able to do just really basic stuff, but I knew that I wanted to challenge myself and go above and beyond. I didn't want to be the guy just bringing the gurney in, picking people up, doing that. I wanted to be the guy that was down there delivering the babies, giving the IVs, giving the meds, you know, doing the the atrakes if we have to. I wanted to be that guy because I thrived under pressure and a lot of these situations are high, high pressure. And I knew that I could use my my ability and my experience to kind of up it to that paramedic level. And so um, I got my paramedic license. And shortly after that, you know, it was 2009. The economy was terrible. Nobody was hiring. Nobody was going anywhere. I had to move from my small town in Washington because uh, they didn't have a position for me as a paramedic. I had to take a job with rural Metro fire department in Yuma, Arizona, you know, making $10 and 50 cents an hour. Um, but I did that because I knew that I wanted to work in the medical field and I knew I wanted to help people in a different way. That, that's amazing. That's, that's a long ways from the Pacific Northwest <clears throat> too. You, going from the, the beautiful forests and mountains to the, to the deserts. It is man. It is. I mean, I went from, uh, from being in my comfort zone with my friends and my family. It's all of a sudden being in a position where I didn't know anybody, you know, it was just me and my wife and uh, my grandma was a snowbird at the time. So she'd come back and forth. I get to see my grandma part of the time of the year. Uh, but I had to basically start all over. And the biggest challenge is a lot of the folks down there didn't speak English. And so how do you be a new paramedic trying to thrive in that situation and communicate with folks that don't even speak the same dialect as you. It was just challenge after challenge. But I got to say, that was one of the biggest growth periods in my entire life because I learned how to just connect with people. You don't have to be able to just speak the same language. You can be in the presence of someone and have communication and understanding just from letting your wavelengths kind of connect with theirs. You can figure out so much about somebody just being in the, in their presence and giving your um, attention right to them. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I, and I believe that's, that's true is there's a lot of communication, just nonverbal, right. And the, and just yeah. being in the presence of somebody that you can understand if they're hurting or if they're happy or sad or angry um, you know, it's, it's given off in their, in their body language and, and how they, they behave. Uh, there's something in there that I heard that I want you to expand a little bit on. And that's, that's getting outside your comfort zone. Tell me what that meant for you. Like, how did that feel? And then what actions did that drive you towards? Well, I mean, basically I was a fish out of water. I was working primarily in the city of San Luis, which is like, 95% Hispanic. So I was, you know, I was the odd man out. You go to the high school and they're teaching the classes in uh, Spanish, not in English. And so I'm literally like a guy walking in a whole nother country trying to serve and help people. And I really had to, to take that seriously. If I wanted to help, I needed to figure out how to communicate. I had partners that could speak Spanish and translate for me. Uh, but I really had to go above and beyond just going into work every day, clocking in and doing my job there. I had to go home and I had to, you know, do Rosetta Stone and and other things just so I could learn some basic communication because um, that was an important part and, 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 and aspect of the job. But ultimately, the one thing that I realized is, you know, we might have these differences, but we all have similar things in common. 
And how do we find common ground to build that trust and rapport? Because here I am, a fo- basically a foreigner coming into a situation where how do you build that trust and rapport? And I think you have to be able to establish you have to be able to establish that really quickly. And you do that with your presence. You come in in a respectful manner. You come in in a manner that you're ready to be open and receive. And then also in those types of situations, you got to be able to take authority because you are the one that they're looking to, to, to help save their life or save their family member's life. Absolutely. And, and you hit on so many things there. I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to shelve them for a minute uh, because yeah. they, they all apply to business. And um, it's, yeah. I, I know that's, I, I'm going to assume and we'll talk about it, that that's what makes you a successful mortgage broker. Uh, yeah. So you did over 20,000, approximately 911 calls. Tell, tell me about the toll that that takes on you. Like, what are some of the challenges you experienced in, in doing that and being that, you know, involved in, in the community in which you served? Well, the real, the real challenge is everybody says, you know, you know what you signed up for. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't really know what you signed up for because each and every day is different. Every case that you run on is completely different. Every scenario is different. And one of the biggest challenges is how do you walk into somebody's personal emergency and walk away with that not affecting you? Because you're human. You have a heart. You care. You have compassion. I've been on over probably six, seven, eight hundred fatalities in my career. And can you imagine how do you just shelve that and bury that and move on? It's super tough. So the big thing is being able to have a support system that loves you and allows you to speak and heal when when you need to. That is probably the biggest key for success and longevity in that type of, of, of work. But I got to say, when I went to EMT school back in 2005, They told us that at any point of time, uh, when you would run on one of these big incidences, uh, you would have what's called critical incident stress debriefing. Basically, they'd bring everybody in the room that was involved. You could talk about your feelings. How do you feel about it? And then find uh, help and be able to move on. I worked for companies that um, that didn't have that value. And on all those 20,000 911 calls I went to, not one time did we ever have a critical incident stress debriefing. I mean, I've been on... You name it, I've probably been on it more than once. Um, and so that is that is a big challenge, is moving from the old mentality uh, in that line of work of just bury it and move on because the next thing is coming to, oh, wait, we need to do something about our mental health now because if you don't, well, here's the, here's the result. I've had about 15 coworkers, direct people that I work with, commit suicide because they didn't have the support system that they needed to um, to overcome some of that. You know, when you look at EMS folks, you have some of the highest rates of suicide, divorce, drug addiction. Um, I mean, it's a real, real problem. And so I'm an advocate now for my, uh, you know, former work life. I'm an advocate now for those folks that work in that line of industry because I understand the damaging effects that can take a toll on who you are mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, you know, my first paramedic job, I was paid $10.50 an hour. How do you support yourself and a family on that? You got to work overtime and it's built to keep you on the clock and in the ambulance. And that's the tough part. There has to be some sort of change so that folks can come work, have time to go home and heal. When you're working 24, 36, 48 hour shifts, I mean, that's unbelievable. And with trauma, 
the biggest key to healing trauma is actually sleep and rest because the trauma in your brain can never heal if your brain's never shutting off and going through the reset processes. And so I'm an advocate for better pay, better schedules, better work-life balance, and um, uh, better mental health, you know, for, for the folks that are still on the front lines doing this stuff. Yeah. And folks that y'all are listening to this today, um, if, if y'all see a paramedic, a police officer, anybody that's in service, take, take the time to stop and thank them. Um, you know, you're not going to hear this except from people like Jason that have actually been on the ground, um, doing this type of stuff. And, you know, I, I could say that, you know, since this is for small business owners, that you could take that same thing that Jason was going through and apply it to business in the fact that a lot of people go out there and say, well, I, I like being the lone wolf. You know, I, I can run my own real estate business or I can run my own mortgage business. I don't need anybody. And that's not the truth. You need that support system, um, whether it's in business or life. Go, go find those key people. Well, everything, every factor in life, Jeremy, has to do with partnerships, everything. You think about it, you know, the sun comes up in the morning, it shines, and the plants take that in, and then they produce their their flowers. The bees come and they pollinate, they move that around to spread life, they go and create honey. We harvest the honey and eat the honey. Winnie the Pooh harvests the honey and eats the honey. It's It's all a symbiotic relationship, and the same is true in business. You know, think about uh, Amazon. Amazon started off just, you know, being a, a book peddler, selling books, used books, new books, whatever. Uh, but it took them partnering with various services in order to build. And it's the same. Like with my with my business, I wouldn't be as successful if I that I am without having partnerships. And you need that in order to thrive and grow. Whether it be a coach or a mentor, whether that be a referral partner or somebody that you can pass off, you know, to the plumber, whatever that is. Partnership is key to all forms of just life in general, but then also in business. Absolutely. There's so much wisdom in that. I, I wish we could go a whole hour just on, on this topic. It would be so good. I'd probably have to have you back on the show. Um, the, Something happened. Something really tragic happened um, in in your time as a paramedic that really, I think, changed the course of who you are and what yeah. you, what you are now. And uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, so throughout my 15 year career, there was multiple incidences where I was sent to the hospital because of whatever. You know, I was fighting a fire and the floor collapsed, fell into the basement. Uh, I was exposed to chemicals and just all kinds of stuff. But on November 1st, 2015, my partner and I, we were sitting in our ambulance heading back to a call and a guy that was uh, high on cocaine blew a red light coming towards us in a residential area going 85 miles an hour. And when he did, he T-boned a car in the intersection and they came and they hit us so hard that we got moved back 15 feet. He bounced off us and then hit another car that had Um, a mom and four children in there. So all of a sudden, you've got me and my partner who are injured, and we have what is called the mass casualty incident. That means that there's too many patients beyond your span of control, plus we're hurt, you know. We had the wherewithal to call in for help, but then I got out of the ambulance with a neck injury and a back injury, and I started to render care, and I did what I could. 
I pulled the man out of the car that had caused that accident. His car was completely crushed, the engine block sitting on the ground, fuel on the ground. I thought the car was going to catch on fire. I pulled him out. He was severely mangled up. The gal that he had T-boned, she was dead. She had to be revived multiple times. And then the family um, car, they all had to be cut out of the car because the car was crushed so badly. Two of the kids in the back had smashed their heads together in the in the incident and had skull fractures. Both of them prior to that were on Division One college football scholarships, and that completely ended their football career. So the man that caused this, you know, he was sentenced to prison for five years, and it greatly affected many, many people's lives. The lady that was T-boned, um, I had met her in the courthouse about a year later at his sentencing. She had to learn how to walk again, talk again. It had 24 surgeries already at that point. And um, on that night, they had to resuscitate her like three or four times because uh, she kept dying, you know, from the scene to the hospital, then at the hospital again. I mean, it was, I've been on probably well over a thousand car accidents. Even if I wasn't involved in that one, that would have been top three uh, most damage and destruction that I'd ever seen. It was, it was unbelievable the, the amount of destruction that was caused just from that one car. I can't imagine having taken that in. And, um, you know, I, I know that the people that, that are still here today are, are thankful that you were, you were there and, and despite injury still rendered aid. Um, it changed you though. And, and you, you made a decision to do something. Um, tell, tell us what happened there and what you pursued. I mean, at that time in my life, I was, I was at the lowest of my low. I was struggling deeply with PTSD. Um, there were incidences where I wanted to take my own life. I was not happy. I was sad. I was hurting so deeply inside just because of the things that I saw and not having a good work-life balance. Um, so for me, I decided that I wanted to make a change in myself in order to live my best life. And what I did is I, I got this little settlement check from the accident and I decided that I was going to buy this crappy old van and turn it into something just to take camping. That was my only goal. I was going to buy a van to go camping where I can get out in nature and just enjoy on the weekends, whatever it may be. The guy, um, the guy in the van down by the river. <laughs> I mean, people say that's a bad thing. No, it's yeah. not. It's awesome. No, no. It is. <laughs> it's awesome. Keep, keep going, man. <laughs> but, uh, so I get this van and I start building it up. And as I'm building it up, I, I think to myself, man, I would love to take this van on a road trip. It's awesome. I would love to see parts of the country. It's a pretty cool thing. And as I begin to build it up, kind of a new desire and drive begin to fuel me to find something that would bring healing in my life. Because for many, many years, I lacked being the recipient of kindness. And so I wanted to experience the world from the perspective of a homeless man that only could survive off of the kindness of others. And so what I had did, I built this van up and I decided I was going to shoot a documentary film and the film's going to be called Miles of Kindness. And each and every day I was going to have to panhandle to survive and I would record all the experience. And the goal was to see how far I could travel funded only on the kindness of others how kind are we to one another throughout the country? And then I wanted to be able to highlight issues that were within the homeless community. Because in my job as a paramedic, I worked with the homeless community every single day. And I saw their way of life and their stories that nobody would ever know. 
and pathways to homelessness are are great and very. I mean, there's so many different pathways. So I want to be able to tell that story. So what I did is I had quit my job. And on April 1st, 2018, I I I left. I went to the side of the freeway, just me, my van, and my cameraman. And I started a panhandle. And within an hour, I got a dollar. And then I got a $10 bill. And then I began to cry. Because I realized, oh my gosh, I have enough that I can just eat today. I have what I need just to get through today. And it was such a crazy, humbling experience to be on the side of that road in a position of need. See, this whole entire trip and project, I didn't use any of my money. It was all hidden camera work relying solely on people truly, genuinely giving because they want to, because they saw somebody in a position of need. My cameraman would be laying in bushes somewhere, you know, (laughs) filming. Like, it was all hidden camera work. And so we would capture the good and the bad. I was assaulted and robbed. I was detained by the police a dozen times. But we started on the side of the freeway here in Phoenix. And in six months' time, I was able to travel to 42 states, over 100 major U.S. cities, over 17,500 miles from Phoenix all the way down to Key West, Florida, all the way up the east coast of Bangor, Maine, across the top of the country to Seattle, down to L.A. and back. And we have samples of people all over the United States giving and taking care of me. They don't know me, but all walks of life took care of me. It wasn't just folks that looked like me. It was everybody. And that was one of the most powerful things that I was able to report. And on top of that, highlighting and sharing and showing other people's stories along the way makes it even more powerful because some of these folks I'm still in contact with today. And some of these folks have overcome poverty and addiction and homelessness and now live in a home. One of the guys I'm working with right now to try and help him buy his first home. I mean, isn't that amazing? You went from chronic homelessness and addiction to now positioning yourself where you can own a home and have really one of the most stable things that you could do for your life. And so after that six months time, I had well over 600 hours of footage. I tried to edit it myself and that is not where my brain works. I just, my, my, my brain's not there. I can't do it. I tried, but I can't do it. So for a while, the project kind of took a bit of a, a back burner. You know, we had COVID took a bit of a back burner and then it wasn't until oh the middle part of last year that I was able to make a connection with, a good friend of mine that that's all he does is editing film. And he took the project on for us and put together really a beautiful piece of, um, of an example of just the love that everybody had for me and showed, you know, the, the day-to-day plight of things that I went through. And I put myself in those shoes. I was eating food out of trash cans and I was going to soup kitchens. I let myself go. I had a big, you know, ball of hair and a big beard and, my clothes were worn in tattered. I did my best to immerse myself into that experience. And what I walked away with um, is probably the most life-changing, valuable thing that I could have ever done um, to date. Because there's more coming down the road. That's that's awesome. Um, I have a question. And and I think I know the answer to this, and and I think this question is probably coming from people too that are that are listening in on this call, is that in your experience in traveling, I think it was seventeen thousand five hundred miles, something crazy, forty two states. 
Um, did you find that there was more kindness given than hatred? 100%. 100%. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I, I was assaulted. I was robbed. There were some negative comments, but everywhere I went, I was taken care of. Everywhere I went, I had a need and I was brought in and loved, you know, people would go out of their way to come back around to give me a couple of dollars or some food or ask me if I needed some help. Um, kindness uh, prevailed over anything else. And that's, that's, that's the best thing about the story, you know, miles of kindness, because we're highlighting and showing it everywhere throughout the country. It's not just one place. It's everywhere. Yeah, I don't, and I and I think that needs to be heard. I, I think if if it, you get anything from this podcast today, is that that kindness reigns, and you know the media. If you if you turn on the news, the, whether it be the local, the national, doesn't matter what side of the coin, uh, you would think that kindness would not be out there. And and to hear that, it's just to me, it's it's encouraging. Uh, it's hope. It gives hope. Um, and. You know, I, I believe that that's the case as well. And I think we just need to hear that. And I think you, you're able to walk in those shoes and actually, despite some of the, some of the challenges that might've come along the way, you know, able to come out of it and say, you know, kindness ruled um, in, in the entire, entire project. Um, you, came through Houston, you came through Houston, didn't you? I did. I did. I did come through Houston. Houston is featured in the film a little bit. We talk about, so back during Hurricane Katrina, uh, one of the biggest challenges during that time was people that were in Louisiana, um, they were displaced, people that lived in New Orleans, and a lot of folks came to Houston. When they come to Houston, there wasn't the housing or the jobs available for folks, so a lot of people ended up on the street. And so that is one area that we did highlight and we talk about. Um, I did panhandle in Houston. I had two funny signs, like every Everywhere I would go, I would try different signs. And sometimes it'd be a funny sign. Sometimes it would be, you know, sad or to the point, whatever. But in Houston, I had uh, one that said astronaut test dummy for hire. And then another one was like, Houston, we have a problem. I'm homeless, you know. And so trying to see what people engage with and what people interact with, that was a big part of it, too. Uh, but I do want to I do want to make like kind of circle back and make and touch on one on one point. It's more than just showing kindness of people. It's also showing the pathways to people's homelessness, to the situation. Because everybody thinks, ah, these are just a bunch of drug addicts. Screw them. Write them off. But they're not. They're not. Yes, drug addiction and mental illness are a big part of the homeless population and community. But when you stop and you think about it, when this person was 10 years old and you asked them in school, what do you want to be when you grow up? Nobody ever said, I want to be a homeless drug addict on the street. Something in life happened that was a catalyst. And when I'm interviewing folks, I'm trying to find what is that catalyst that brought them there? For one girl that was 23 years old, she'd been homeless since she was 10 with her mom. And her mom prostituted her out as a child in order to receive money to buy drugs and then put her on drugs to uh, keep her numb and keep performing for her, you know? Another guy, um, he was in the military and was sexually assaulted by his commanding officer. And he came back and suffered from mental illness from that and addiction. And when I had met him, he was now living in a home and was able to utilize services from the VA. But that was his pathway to homelessness. And there's, there's tons. So the idea was also to bring 
bring the homeless person out as an individual and look at them as an individual because the life that you have, Jeremy, is different than the life that I have and it's different than the next person's life, but we're all worthy of um, the right of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, but something happened that brought them there. So how do we how do we cure it? We find individual solutions for the individual rather than just a big mass band-aid because band-aids don't work. Yeah. And that's, you know, you see that come from the government a lot, right? They, they're like, Oh, we got this program and it doesn't necessarily fit the specific needs. I think it was you that shared this the other day and it caught my attention. I think I've heard it before. I might've heard maybe a little bit different number, but everybody's there are the percentage of people that are $400 to $500 you know, emergency away from poverty or not being able to catch up or being behind is, is quite astounding. It is. And what that comes down to, I've been, I've been reading this book. So every day I try and challenge myself a little bit. I've been reading this book. It's not my book. I'm not trying to sell it. It's called how money works. This is like a basic kids level book that most average 20, 30, 40 year olds don't even understand the concepts. And it talks about how um, 40% of Americans can't withstand a $400 emergency because they don't know how money works. So financial literacy is um, a huge part of why folks are not successful. Discipline is another part of it. But only 17 out of the 50 states require there be any type of uh, personal financial uh, class done in high school. So a lot of folks come out of school and they don't know how money works. Money coming in is not the problem. It's not. You go to work, you get a paycheck. Money coming in is not the problem. It's what do you do with that money? Do you park it in a regular savings account? No, you need to find ways to invest it and put it in higher yielding accounts so that you can build and withstand on that compound interest. And so I'm doing just little videos and talking about that. So that the average person could maybe say, man, you know what? I need to wake up a little bit and maybe be smarter with my money. Maybe read these little, you know, how-to guides um, to help bring myself to a better position of finances. Because I got to tell you, the first 20 years of my working life, um, working on an ambulance and whatnot, I didn't make a whole lot of money, but I didn't have anything to show for it because I didn't understand how money works. And when I got into real estate, got into home lending, that became a new passion of mine is how, how can I build something for myself and use that as an example to show others. And so I get to be the expert in how money works uh, to share that with my community, with my friends, with my family, uh, so that they can better position themselves. And a big, you know, the, the ultimate goal is stability and home ownership is a huge part of that. It can curb your possibility to, to, to go into homelessness, but it can also give you that compound interest year over year over year to be able to position yourself to have something at the end of the day, because you know what? Social security could run out. Or if you do get social security at, at the end of the day, what is that going to cover? It's only such a small, small thing and people are living longer. So investing your money wisely, that's what I'm learning about. That's what I'm consuming. And that's what I'm pushing and teaching others at the moment. Yeah, I think I think that's awesome. And, and I know financial is just one component of the, the people that you came in contact with that were homeless. I know there's many other ways. There's many pathways, like you said. And, um, you know, it, I, I think the the overall thought with that, too, is that, you know, be, we're blessed with what we have, but it may be gone tomorrow. 
And um, so, you know, being kind and showing kindness to those that are going through that and helping bring them back. Um, I, th- I think that's a pretty powerful mes- message to, to put out there. So you did, you did this, it actually became a, a film and I, th- I think even like a red carpeted event and, and yeah. it was a pretty big deal. And is there, is there any way to watch that? Is it, is it up anywhere? Do you have it anywhere you purchase or? Yeah. So it's, it's currently not on any streaming platforms. We did our first premieres this, this last summer uh, one here in Phoenix, and then we did two showings in Washington State in my hometown. Um, the idea is to enter it in film festivals. Um, so at that point, maybe there's some reviews or awards that could get behind it. And then at that point, it's easier to take to platforms to shop uh, to try and get it on like a Netflix or a Prime or a Hulu or something like that. Um, if you don't do that, it's a little bit harder to go shop uh, your product. And so it's always good to have reviews um, prior to entering that. So right now, it's not currently on any streaming platform. If I were to put it up on YouTube, um, it would be ineligible for film festivals. Um, It has to have not been released on anything. So that's kind of the focus for the next uh, phase is getting it out there um, and into the festival stream for this next spring and summer. And then from there, um, shopping it on a platform, hopefully next fall. That's very awesome. So we'll we'll stay tuned to that. And if we get any updates, I'll make sure to pass it along. Uh, so you, you got through with this project and you sort of kind of stumbled into uh, the financial side of the real estate business. Tell us about how you got started and joined Fairway Mortgage. Yeah, I mean, it was the most random thing. You know, I... When I came back from doing the film, I hopped back on and worked on it on another ambulance for a while. I knew that I didn't want to go back to working on an ambulance, but that was kind of my option, you know, or at least what I thought, (laughs) at least what I thought. I didn't bet on myself. I didn't believe on myself. I didn't think I could do anything else. Well, in like January of 2020, I get this uh, piece of mail and it says, hey, refinance your house. And it said fairway mortgage on it, but it looked kind of odd. I call my buddy and he said, hey, this is a scam piece of mail because my buddy works at Fairway as well. He said, that's a scam piece of mail, but let's take a look and see, is there any way that if you refinance your house, could you save? And sure enough, um, I could save some money. So we did a refi on the house and then they invited me to a client appreciation event. And while I was there, my buddy said, Jason, why in the hell are you still working as a paramedic, man? You're making garbage wage. You've got, uh, you're exposed to all these terrible things. He goes, you know how to talk to people. You know how to connect with people. You're lovable. You're likable. You know how to bring people together and serve. Why don't you consider becoming a loan officer? And I had no idea what that entailed. I said, well, I don't have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in finance. He goes, you don't need that. You just got to go take the course. So I signed up for a course and then right about that time COVID hit and everything was canceled. We all remember the world was on lockdown like that, you know? So I had to wait for some additional online content to come out, which took a couple of months. People had to get their uh, accreditations and whatnot. And so once that content was out, I was able to sign up and take the actual course. And then um, in August of 2020, I told my EMS employer, peace out, no more abuse, no more of this crazy stuff. I'm going to go try something new. I'm going to bet on, I'm going to bet on myself. I walked in the doors that first day. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. 
I just knew about Respa, Tilla, like basic law, because that's all they teach you. Sometimes the best you. is just that ignorant bliss. You know, you walk in, you have no idea, yeah. you're, you're you're ready to yeah. go. Yeah, they don't they don't teach you how to structure a loan. They don't teach you how to talk to people about loan products. You get just a basic generic overview, which by the way, what they teach you is not even close, you know, to what to what desktop underwriter will actually accept or loan processor will actually accept in the guidelines. Like the guidelines they teach you are not even right. Um, cause every company is a little different. And then, uh, so basically you walk in there and you think you're cool because you can say a couple of terms about the law, uh, but you really walk in and you don't know jack shit, you know? Yeah. Happens in real estate too. I, you get your real estate license and somebody comes in they're like, yeah, I know everything. I don't need a coach. I'm like, all right, good yeah. luck. So, so I, so I knew when I, when I walked in the door, my first day, I knew my role was going to be loan officer assistant. I don't know what exactly that entailed, but I was willing to try something new. And when I got in there, I said to myself, man, do I want to be an assistant and I could potentially make this or could I actually apply myself and try and move more towards the sales side of things? I want to move towards sales. Well, how do I do that? I need to create and build an audience. And then I asked myself, well, what do I have for my prior career that could transfer over like what is transferable you're not starting ivs on people or giving them drugs no the only thing that was transferable and this is this has been the key for me is the ability to walk into a situation and establish rapport within 30 seconds and build trust and let them know that you're the man for the job that's the only thing that transferred over because each and every 911 call that you would run on you've got 30 seconds to look at the scene, to establish rapport, and to get moving. And it's the same thing when you're talking with people. Your first impression makes a huge difference. If you're cold calling and you sound like an idiot or an asshole on the other end of the phone, they're not going to talk to you. They're not going to listen. But if you find a way to be personable, if you find a way to get somebody to engage with you, you're going to open up opportunities. So I realized I've only got 30 seconds. That's all I have. And I can win in 30 seconds or I can lose. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to give my all for that 30 seconds. And we're going to do what we can to try and build that trust and rapport so we can move it to the next level. And so I started to do that. And I started to take applications right away. And my first month closing loans, I closed 12 deals for about two and a half million dollars. And at that point, my boss came back to me and they said, okay, you know, we're not going to have you just be an assistant collecting docs, setting up stuff. You clearly have a desire and a passion and an ability to connect with people. How can we support you? And that's when I just took off running and I thrived. Even though we were in um, a bit of a refinance boom, that didn't matter. I was new. I didn't know shit. I was brand new. I still had to go out there and get business. And I did. My first year closing loans, I closed over $25 million in my first year and made top 1%. And it's only been it's only continued to grow from there. And it all comes back to that ability to connect, ability to build relationships and partnerships. Um, because if you don't have that personality in any type of business, you're never going to grow. Yeah. I, I think that and you know, I think the the reciprocating of kindness, right? And yeah. so being able to establish rapport, build that trust and show kindness and truly help people get what they want. Yeah, I think that's 
that's a lost art. You know, I, I think our, our world has become so transactional. Uh, that's yeah. not what I coach to. I coach to relationship building and, and, you know, it's got to go beyond the transaction. Um, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, it's establishing that rapport, you know, for repeat business referral. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's a long, it's a long game. And there's so many people that are playing the, the short game, especially coming out of the last few years where it was easy to do a real estate transaction. They were just falling into your lap. It might've been hard to find the home, you know, inventory was short. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there and, and now the market's shifting a little bit. It's getting a little funky in different areas. And it it's, it's, it's really going to separate those people that are able to build the rapport and the trust and, and be able to show kindness and, and competence um, of, of what they do and, and deliver. So, you know, I, I think yeah. that's amazing how you were able to bridge the gap between the two. It doesn't have to be everything from your past experiences. It could just be a couple things. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the a big thing is when you're building a relationship, you're wanting to build loyalty in a client for the next 20, 25 years because they're going to, they're not going to live in that house forever. They're going to refi every couple of years. They may sell and go buy a new home, but you have to be able to be true and genuine in your interactions and your follow-up. Even though I've been in the industry for three years, I have many people that are repeat customers. They bought their first home with me. They refied with me and then, oh, their life situation changed. They sold, they went and bought another house. So building that rapport, being kind, finding ways to follow up and keep people engaged, that's huge. Because if you don't, you're just a transactional person. I would rather build a relationship-based business and know that I'm going to work hard right now. We're going to establish things based on integrity, based on uh, just always trying to do the right thing. And down the road, you're going to come back to me and you're going to send your friend to me and your family to me. Because for me, I don't care what the loan amount is. I've had people come and say, oh, my loan amount's only for, you know, hundred grand. You're probably not going to want this one. I don't care. I'm going to do a great job for you because what did I do? I just tapped into your entire circle of people. And I'm not going to judge you for whatever your home is. That's, that's not a problem. I want you to have a safe, clean living situation that supports you and keeps you from the street, keeps you from poverty, helps you build synergy in your life. That's a huge deal. That may be a huge deal for somebody to go buy their first home. You know, maybe it's $100,000, $150,000. That's great. I want to be your biggest cheerleader in that moment. And if I do a good job, I just tapped into your entire referral base. Every time you have a conversation with a friend and they say, I'm thinking about buying a home. They're going to say, hey, man, let me hook you up with Jason. Yeah, and then now, now I don't even really have to do the cold calls anymore. Now people are calling me because I've already done the background and the work. Do I still cold call? Yeah, I still cold call because I want to continue to build and grow. But it just starts to naturally come in. And I can't imagine where my business is going to be at year five, at year 10, year 15, 20, um, if it is already where it's at right now. So just keeping... Uh, the diligency, keeping the kindness, being authentic on and off camera. That's that's the biggest thing. One of my biggest heroes is Mr. Rogers. Are, are you familiar? Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? Yeah, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yeah. Mr. Rogers was the same guy off camera as he was off. I want to tell you just a quick kind of cool story about him. So uh, it was it was a really cold day. They were up in Canada, and he had a meeting at this restaurant, and his driver came to pick him up to take him 
to the lunch meeting. And when they got to the lunch meeting, Mr. Rogers said, hey, why don't you come in and have lunch with us? It's cold. And the driver said, no, I'll just wait in the car. Mr. Rogers, nope, come in and be a part of our lunch meeting and have lunch with us. Brings the driver in, doesn't even know the guy. Brings him inside. The guy sits down. He's a part of the lunch meeting and he's getting to interact with everybody. Well, afterwards is where the story becomes kind of crazy. And this is, this is a true story. He's driving, him, he's driving Mr. Rogers back to his hotel. And Mr. Rogers says, well, do you live nearby? And the guy said, well, yeah, I just live a mile up the road. He goes, I'd like to meet your family. And so the guy's like, really? Yeah, take me to meet your family. So Mr. Rogers drives him, or the guy drives Mr. Rogers to his house. They come to the front door. The wife opens the door and sees her husband there with Mr. Rogers, and she's blown away. And he said, I want you to come in for dinner. And the wife says, well, I don't have enough supper for everyone. Mr. Rogers says, I don't care. That's fine. I just want to come and visit you and, and, and give to your family. And when he walked in, he saw there was a piano. The family sat down to eat, and Mr. Rogers sat there at the piano and played the piano for them and sang songs. And then after dinner, the whole family joined him, and he played the piano, and they sang songs all evening. And then once it got late, the driver took Mr. Rogers back to his hotel. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be authentic on and off the camera, just like Mr. Rogers was. That's my personal hero. And if you can't, if you're turning it on when the camera's on, you're an asshole. So for me, exactly. so for me, my my goal in my life is to try and be the best version of myself so that I'm the same and I'm authentic when the camera's rolling and when the camera's not. The Jason that you're gonna get when we shut this video off is the same Jason you're getting right now. Positivity, love, energy, kindness, all of that. I want to continue to bring and shine forth through my day and through my life. Well, Jason, thank, thank you for being on the show today. There, there's just so much. Uh, we could spend another 5, 10, 15 minutes just unpacking the nuggets. Um, if you're listening to this, I encourage you to, to listen to it again. Uh, share it with a, a friend or a colleague that may need to hear this today. Uh, there, there's just so much in there, and I appreciate you you sharing that. Uh, so you're with Fairway Mortgage um, out in Glendale, Arizona. How do people yep. connect with you? I mean, well, there's there's a there's a couple ways you can go to Facebook and type in Jason Smith Fairway Mortgage. I'll pop up, or you can Google search Jason Smith Fairway Mortgage. All my info pops up, so that's probably the the easiest way. Um, I also have my own you know stuff on Fairway's site. If you type in Jason Smith Fairway Mortgage, all my stuff will come up there to uh, contact me, whether it be a phone call or an email. Um, Google's pretty powerful. You can even search Jason's most excellent van adventures on Facebook and my van page will pop up and you can go back in time and watch me as I post and stream things from, you know, from the entire project, from building the van, uh, to the day one of homelessness to six months later, and then everything that has happened since then. So, uh, pretty, pretty easy to find. I know there's a lot of Jason Smith's, but um, I think those are the keywords right there to search. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like Jeremy Williams. There's, there's a bunch of us out yeah. there too. So yep. we're, we're blessed with those, with the common name. Uh, what States do you write in? So I'm personally licensed in Texas, Arizona, California, Colorado, and Washington. Uh, my team is also licensed in about a dozen other States. So really, it, it doesn't matter what state somebody's looking to buy in, either myself or my team 
has the ability to write there. If not, somebody in my branch does. So typically what happens if, if, if I've got somebody that wants to buy in Florida, I'm not licensed there, but my partner is. Well, what I do is I still work the loan for you. I still take care of that and I handle that. I just put the loan in my partner's name and then I see you all the way to the finish line. So um, pretty much any state that somebody wants to buy in, I can either handle it or get it directly um, with one of my in-house team members. That's, that's great. So guys, support Jason. Uh, he's doing an amazing job out there. I know he's going to take care of, you know, for my realtors, they're going to take take care of your clients. Uh, for those that um, are out there, they're just looking for somebody to finance or connect with Jason. He's going to take great care, care of you. Um, I, I want to do this. I, I haven't done this before on the show, but I, I want to just turn the mic over to you for 30 seconds to a minute. And I want you to share Think about the audience today, small business owners, 80% of them, real estate agents, a lot of small business owners outside of that, all different various um, industries. Share with them in 30 seconds to a minute, one piece of advice that that they could take and maybe implement today in their, their lives. All right, here's the real quick one. So I watched a documentary on Kanye West called Genius. And in this documentary, he was a young, young guy. He was just a producer, not really a rapper. And he was walking through the studio one day, and he knew that Jay-Z was in one of the booths recording. He walks in there, and Jay-Z's in there, and he says, hey, uh, put me in on the next song. And he, Jay-Z was blown away. Put him in on the next song. He went in there. He killed it. As soon as Kanye walked out, he shook his hand. Kanye left the room, and Jay-Z looked around to everybody. He said, that's how you have to be. A closed mouth doesn't eat. If he didn't walk in here today and say, this is what I want, he wouldn't be on this track. So I want to encourage people to go out there and speak about what you do. Talk about what you do. Share about what you do. Keep swinging that bat. Because if you don't swing that bat, you're never going to hit the ball. I love that. <laughs> so that's That That could just be the podcast right there. Um, yep. Jason, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Jason Smith with Fairway Mortgage out of Glendale, Arizona. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your journey, the, the challenges that you faced, how you overcame those, and how you're building something that's really successful. And I know it's going to impact tons and tons of people. Thank you again for being on the show. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me, Jeremy. I, I appreciate you. And man, let's keep building great things together, man. That sounds wonderful. Until next time, onward and upward. Thank you for listening to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. If you heard something that made a difference in your life today, share it with someone that might benefit and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Learn more about the host of this podcast and coaching services offered by Red Hawk Coaching by visiting www.redhawkcoaching.com.